have done, but purely out of gratitude and thankful hearts. So Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for this place. Thank you for the gift of music as a way of connecting with you. Please be with Pastor Joe. Give us humble, soft, and fleshy hearts to hear the word that you have given today. May it be fast. May it pierce our souls, and may it cause us to grow closer to you and to each other. In the name of your Son, amen. You may be seated. Um, good morning, everybody. Uh, Joe Davis. I'm the pastor here at Grace Life. If you've never been here before, welcome. Uh, before we get started, you heard during the announcement time, we have a lot of stuff going on. So it's becoming more and more crucial that we as a mobile church find ways to connect and make sure that we're, we know what's going on and things like that. And we're very excited about the launch of our app. You can bring that back up for me. Um, this is a little video I've prepared. If you haven't downloaded the app, by the way, uh, go to the website, gracelifesrq.com uh, or gracelifesarasota.com. Uh, and you can download it. Uh, we've sent an email with some links. But what I want to show you is a feature. Every once in a while, we'll roll out a new feature to the app that we want you to be aware of. And this is the one I'm really excited about. It's about how we can have different types of notifications. So uh, let me let that get back to the beginning. You'll see what happens. So uh, if you'll, once you've downloaded the app, if you'll go to the far left corner, uh, right up there, you do that. And then you go to settings. Uh, and then after, after you hit settings, you'll come to a place called notifications, and you'll see something really cool. We have different groups that we can notify different things. Like if you're part of Grace Life Recovery, you can subscribe to that. Or if you're part of Deep End or Grace Life Kids, and we'll be adding new groups to that as we go, but you will get push notifications about that particular ministry so you're aware of what's going on in your subgroup of the larger group of Grace Life Sarasota. That's a really cool function and a really cool feature. So go in there and subscribe to the groups that you're a part of, and, but all of you should make sure you're subscribed to the... Um, the general notification. And lastly, if you don't download the app, I will know. <laughs> I will know and there will be problems. I'm just kidding. So, but thank you so much for doing that. We're continuing in our, our series called Surviving in Egypt, The Life of Joseph. And this week is number six. And I've titled this week's message, Resisting Temptation. Now, <clears throat> temptation I heard a bunch of, oh, <laughs> groaning. Temptation is the area that every Christian desires to master. The problem is, it's one of the hardest parts of learning how to survive in Egypt. Egypt being a picture of the world around us. Just think about this. If we as Christians could figure out a way to master this idea of resisting temptation, life would be so much better, wouldn't it? So much easier. Think of all the consequences of sin we would avoid. And maybe, you know, maybe we can just work really hard, work hard enough at being a Christian to arrive at a level of spiritual maturity that makes us, quote unquote, more than conquerors. A really bad misunderstanding of that verse that many people preach. But maybe we can just work hard enough, right? If we do all the right things, work hard enough, then we'll be good at temptation. I mean, resisting it, not right. <laughs> but problem is, this is the message, frankly, that I hear many pastors preach to their congregations. But ultimately, here's what happens. No matter how hard you try, what's going to happen? You're going to fail. Temptation will win. That's because surviving in Egypt constantly puts us into impossible situations. 
that earthly, humanly speaking, we have no way to win. But today's sermon in this series, I believe, I think we have something that can give you a fresh, new look at temptation and how you can actually survive. Now, in today's passage, Joseph is tempted by Potiphar's wife. I don't want you to get caught up in the scenario of sexual temptation. I want you to focus more on the success that Joseph has, not the specific type of temptation. So let's look at the passage, Genesis chapter 39, verses 6 through 12. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. I See, I, I can understand being handsome in form, but I'd love to be handsome in form and appearance. Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> Apparently, he was. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in the house than I am, nor has he kept me back from anything except you. Because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? And as she spoke to Joseph, day after day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day, he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house were there in the house. She caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. So we like to look at three applications of Scripture every time we do this. We look at the history what about man? What did he do? And why and how did he do it? Then the, the spiritual side. What about God? What does he do? And why and how does he do it? Then we have the devotional or the personal side. What about me? What am I supposed to do? Why and how do I do it? What I want you to see is Joseph is actually battling darkness. This is yet, and, we, and I share this with you, right? This whole life of Joseph is a picture, a story about how the enemy wants to destroy our salvation. Because Joseph is the one that God is going to use to preserve the line of Jesus. This is yet another scheme to take down the most important man in the world at that time. The man God was going to use to preserve the line of Christ, our salvation, and the enemy is extremely motivated and he's very engaged. And his target is acquired. His target is Joseph. Listen, this isn't about Potiphar's wife. It's about the enemy's desire to destroy Joseph. Joseph is in the crosshairs. And because, as we learned in our passage last week, because God was with him, the enemy needs to undo that. He's got to get it so that God is not with him anymore. In fact, the enemy knows that if he does not succeed, his life depends on it. So he crafts a temptation scenario that is perfectly suited for a good-looking, successful man with power. I mean, why is temptation effective after all? I mean, it is tailor-made for our desires. Like, for example, I would not be tempted to steal a $5,000 dress. <laughs> a brand-new, multi-screen $5,000 cell phone, that I'm tempted to steal. You see what I'm saying? Like, the enemy wouldn't tempt me with a dress. Oh, wouldn't you like to steal that? No. But that's the funny thing about temptations. They aren't temptations unless they appeal to you. So I want you to see the target is required, and there is relentless pursuit of this guy, Joseph. 
one successful resistance to temptation was not the end of the story. Oh, well, he turned me down. I know, I know where I stand now. No, darkness, church, darkness plays the long game. And he uses Potiphar's wife to make several attempts day by day by day. She comes after him again and again and again and again with relentless pursuit. Isn't just like the world around us? This is why surviving in Egypt is so difficult. Egypt does not take weekends off. <clears throat> At this point, the enemy is obsessed with destroying Joseph. And he can't stop until he is successful in his endeavor. And what the enemy does is through the temptation of Potiphar's wife, he offers to Joseph temporary satisfaction and affirmation through sin. But somehow, day after day, Joseph sees it clearly. He sees the trap. And it results in decisive resistance. He doesn't nibble around the edges. He doesn't just hang out and have coffee. No, we really can't do this. His desire to spare Potiphar, his friend now. Him, him and Potiphar are friends now. They've had discussions about God and they have a close relationship. Potiphar trusts him with everything. His desire to spare Potiphar heartbreak and also his desire to honor God who has blessed him with this opportunity enables him to resist. Joseph does not resist because he fears the consequences. He does not resist because he fears embarrassment. His motivation is, I don't want to hurt Potiphar. I don't want to disappoint my God who has saved me. And faith in God enables him to flee from the evil one, not in a flirtatious way with sin. He flees with forceful conviction. He is quick. He is decisive as if he never even considered it for one moment. And knowing how men dressed in those days, leaving a coat behind is evidence of a forceful, fast resistance. He had to scramble. He had to move. He had to move his, and he had, it wasn't like a, here, you just keep the jacket. I'll see you later. <laughs> he had to push her away. He had to turn. He had to twist. He had to fight and he had to run and he left the coat in her hand. Joseph's example is probably something all of us would desire to emulate, Right? I mean, wouldn't it be great if we could face temptation with the same type of decisiveness as he does? So what do we learn from this story? What is the difference between success and failure in temptation? Let's talk about the spiritual side of the passage. I want to talk about this impossible situation. So before we glorify Joseph, just slow your role, player. Let's just consider the facts just a little bit about the situation. Here's the deal spiritually. We are constantly surrounded. All of us. Even this very morning, we are constantly surrounded by things that want to make us lazy, things that want to make us immoral, things that want to make us dishonest, things that want to make us inconsistent, things that want to make us betrayers, things that want to make us liars, thieves. We are surrounded constantly. And the scripture teaches us in Ephesians 6:12, Paul says, we don't wrestle against Potiphar's wife. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Temptation 
in Egypt, in the world, is so pervasive and so relentless, frankly, it's a miracle any of us survive. I mean, it seems the world has an incredibly, ridiculously effective homing device connected right to our weaknesses. It's looking constantly, day after day, for some sunlight and a way into our life. And it really, listen, it doesn't matter how faithful you are. It doesn't matter how mature you are. The enemy will relentlessly pursue you. Frankly, even Jesus was subject to what I call this tsunami of temptation. And he was perfect. The enemy still tried. But in his resistance, our Lord became sympathetic to our impossible situation. In Hebrews chapter 4.15, Paul says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Listen, this is so important. Our God has a full understanding of just how difficult surviving Egypt is is it's the catalyst frankly for what god does next and that is the fact that while we are constantly surrounded while it's a ridiculously impossible situation because our savior is sympathetic and he has been through it without fail we are never alone resisting temptation it seems like a lonely business doesn't it but for God's children, it shouldn't be. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man or to Jesus. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Well, that's great, Pastor Joe. What is that way of escape? I would love to know. <laughs> Spill the beans here, pal. Come on, tell me. Is the way of escape something learned? Is it something practiced? Is it a skill? Is it a discipline? Or is it perhaps a gift from Heavenly Dad? See, here's the thing. God is constantly at work in his chosen, intervening, providing opportunity to withstand the relentless, continuous onslaught that we face as we try to survive in Egypt. The same God that empowered Joseph to survive temptation in Egypt is the same God at work in our lives. So what's the answer? What can we learn from Joseph's example that can empower you this afternoon, tomorrow? I've called this part the personal application, humble resistance. You ever heard the phrase, there but the grace of God go I? I wrote that. No, I'm just kidding. It's not mine. Question, where? That was a good one, wasn't it? Question, for, for real, where would you be if God never intervened to constrain your flesh? Where would you be right now this moment if every time your flesh wanted something, God did not intervene? What if every time you were tempted, you fell? Most of us probably wouldn't even be alive today. Because listen, the world around us is ridiculously relentless. 
Its influence is constantly trying to get a foothold in our lives. That's why Peter says, who knew something about temptation, be sober, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, notice he doesn't say Potiphar's wife, he says the devil. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So from a human perspective, I think we've laid out the case pretty clearly. Practically speaking, winning is impossible. I mean, this verse describes the intensity of the battle. It's not a roaring lion trying to lick you. He wants to devour you. He's not looking for a treat. He's looking for a leg. If you will, if you understand, that's how far he's willing to go. So before I explain what humble resistance is, I want to explain to you what I feel like is self-reliance. Let's look at what arrogant resistance looks like before we look at humble resistance. First of all, there's this idea of self-preparation, right? If I work hard enough, I will be rewarded with victory over temptation. I got to get enough Bible. I got to get me enough prayer. I got to get me enough church. And then I won't fail. It's the try really hard approach that I told you that us pastors are famous for preaching about. But think about it. That's not really the gospel now, is it? So your salvation can't be from trying hard. That has to be believing. But you're resisting temptation. Now that's different. That's different salvation. That's trying hard. See how ridiculous it is. Look, trying hard may work for a time. I'm not saying it won't ever work. But when the world comes after you day by day by day, you're going to need something more than just trying hard. Because you know why? You're going to get tired. I'm not saying that preparation isn't important. But if this is your primary plan sooner or later, I promise you, probably sooner, you will fail. Can you see how reliance on spiritual effort is actually rooted in arrogance? That's not about grace. That's about self-righteousness. So I think we can clearly say that the true key to resisting temptation does not rely on how good of a Christian you can be. Because you're going to fail. Another area of arrogant resistance would be self-preservation. Fear of earthly consequences. That can work for a time probably as well. We do the math and we realize no means we escape bad stuff. But in a way, isn't this kind of self-centered too? I'm going to say no to temptation because I like my life the way it is and I don't want anything interrupting it. Seeking success in temptation to preserve comfort and escape consequences. Here's what happens when that's your main motivation. Don't sin because bad things. Sooner or later, here's what we do. We rationalize it. We hatch schemes to minimize the consequences. Maybe we hide the sin. Or maybe we act like we're victims and we have no choice but to sin because this is what we deserve. Somebody wronged us or they deserve this or I deserve that. 
And now what happens is your self-preservation that you thought was a good boundary against the temptation, it gives way to self-deception. Believing we can somehow escape the natural laws of sin. Go ahead, eat the fruit. You won't die. That's what the serpent told Eve. And then what we see is temptation wins. And it's spelled out in this verse. Pride goes before destruction and a proud or haughty spirit before a fall. This is the end result of those of us who try to resist temptation through arrogant resistance. I'm going to ask you today to abandon arrogant resistance. It is not the example we see from Joseph. Here's what happens. Each time, get this now, this is kind of weird how sick it is. Each time we succeed in resisting a temptation with one of these two strategies, what happens? We become more confident and thus more susceptible to failure. Every time we say, ah, I was able to go right to the edge and recognize the consequences and turn away. I was able to go right to the edge, but I prayed enough so I was able to turn away. Now what happens is you gain confidence and it's a fraud because you will fail. So this was the um, social media campaign this week. By the way, I really like the fact we're getting a lot more likes on that, but I would like a few more loves. So if you could do that, that'd be great. I'm just kidding. What's the more joyful way to resist temptation? Fear of consequences or gratitude for grace? Here's what, I, here's what we know. Surviving in Egypt will require far more than strength from self-preparation or motivation for self-preservation. We're going to need, if we're going to be successful long-term, we're going to need to tap into something far more powerful. And we will need what empowered Joseph to defeat his temptation. Because the reason for his success wasn't his talent. The matter of fact, his talent was one of the reasons he was in a position to be tempted. The reason for his success wasn't because he was a spiritual giant. The reason he was successful is he had humble gratitude for what Potiphar had done and humble gratitude for what God's grace had given him. So the first way that we can actually have humble resistance is humble love. <clears throat> the ability for us to see how others are more important than ourselves. Let me explain. This is one of the reasons, one of the lessons we learned from Joseph. His love for Potiphar and their friendship was inspirational for Joseph. Love and concern for someone he cared about enabled him to see beyond his own personal joy and satisfaction, enabled him to see beyond that to understand that the consequences, if caught, aren't just on me, it will destroy my master. When we can begin to experience the pain of our failure from the perspective of others that it impacts, you get insight into the true nature of our sin. Let me tell you, as your pastor, for example, I try to constantly stay aware of the impact that my sinfulness has on all of you. And frankly, it's quite sobering when temptation intoxicates me with the allure of temporary sinful pleasure. Because I love you. 
I mean, and I truly do as your pastor. I love you and I pray for you and you're, you're an important part of our lives. My love for you is part of the reasons why I want to stay righteous. Because I know that my sin has a huge impact on you. And my humble love for you, recognizing that you are more important than my personal enjoyment of giving into temptation, allows me to see that it's not about me. It's about you. Putting others before yourself serves as a very strong deterrent and a tremendous empowerment to resist temptation. That's what Joseph had. Listen, lady, Potiphar has given me charge over everything in his house. He loves me. He trusts me. How in the world do you expect me to betray my friend like this? I can't do it. Then there's another key to humble resistance. It's humble gratitude. See, I think actually this might be the most important influence during temptation. It's the humility that you get from understanding, get this, the miraculous intervention of God's grace into your depravity. Understanding the costs, the depths, the power, and the scope of God's grace is so crucial to surviving in Egypt. In fact, I would tell you that humble gratitude for how God has chosen you, how God has saved you, how God has redeemed you, and how God has transformed you, and how God has blessed you is a key ingredient to being able to survive in Egypt, especially when temptation surrounds you. The joy of the intervention of grace into our depravity is far more empowering than reliance upon self-righteousness or self-preservation. Can you see that? Because Joseph says, not only do I not want to hurt Potiphar, I don't want to sin against my God. As a matter of fact, David recognized this after he was confronted with his sin with Bathsheba and the murdering of her husband Uriah. David said, for I have sinned and done evil in your sight, God. My sin is against you. And one of the things that broke David's heart so much was not just that he destroyed Bathsheba and Uriah's life. Yes, that was part of the consequences of sin. And he said, make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken could rejoice. The bones of pride is what that means. The bones that hold you up. Make me hear, hear, hear joy that the bones you have broken caused me to rejoice. He's saying, thank you for breaking me from the idea that I could resist through arrogance. But when you understand how much work grace had to do to transform you, it really puts temptation into light. So this is my, uh, I have a couple of things to say, but this is my last screen for the day. When temptation comes, humility, uh, uh, humble gratitude, I should have said humble gratitude for God's grace and love for his people is our best way of escape. When temptation comes, humble gratitude for God's grace and love for his people is our best way to escape. If you remember last week, one of the things that was so amazing about Potiphar was that he recognized what? That the hand of God was on Joseph. And I said, I speculated that it seems like that Joseph was kind of sharing the message of hope and redemption with Potiphar as he was managing his house. 
So there was a connection there. And Joseph said, I've spent all this time with Potiphar. There's no way I'm going to destroy this relationship of God working in his life and mine over this temptation. My hope today is that as you read and see this story, that you are inspired to recognize you better stop relying on arrogant resistance to temptation. You better start relying upon the intervention of God's grace and the love he has given you for his people. Heavenly Dad, I just want to thank you so much that in the midst of temptation, sometimes we are lazy and we fall back maybe on excuses or whatever. But God, I pray that each person in this church, in our congregation, in our church family, would begin to have an active recall of those they love and what you have done for them so that we can have successful, humble resistance to temptation, just like Joseph did. Resistance that is decisive, that is powerful, that is quick. Resistance, humble resistance that repulses us from the cost of sin. We pray that you would make us sober and vigilant because we know there's an adversary in Egypt that is coming after us day by day by day. We want to rest in humble love and humble gratitude. 